Okay, the last night of Romans. Yeah, woo, yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> are y'all okay? Are y'all doing okay? Yeah? Finals, are you stressing out a little bit? Are you like feeling just great, yeah? Confident? Okay. Did of you not have to take any finals at all? Oh, we, okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right, well, let's get started then. Um, <clears throat> we're just going to read the last two paragraphs of the book of Romans. And there's really not much to say. Okay, so go to Romans 16, 17. Are you pretty much there? Excellent. Okay, well, let's get to it then. All right, uh, I'm just going to start reading. There's two pieces in here. There's two places that I want to hit um, and apply them actually quite a lot. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll jump back into it. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Cordus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Um, so we call Romans sort of the, it, it's maybe the most extensive theology book that we have. It's the most extensive, uh, well-developed theology of Paul. And what I want you to see is pretty much since chapter 9, he has leveraged or he has used all of the theology that he's talked about to drive a single point home. And that's that he wants these people in this church to be united. So for all of the theology about Jesus, for all the theology about the relationship between Israel and the church, for everything that he has said that didn't make sense and you've got to read it like 15 times because he goes out of his way uh, to 
to be too complex. Uh, and you have to go to commentaries to read everything because there's so much that he's saying. What he's driving that point to the whole time is, is really summed up in this. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for people who cause divisions. It's super interesting that that's the point that he's really driving at with these people. And so if you remember, if we can, I mean, I don't want to unpack it too much, but if you remember, there's just so much room for division within this church. You have these two people groups, Jewish people and non-Jewish people, who have every reason to hate each other. Jewish people before Jesus wouldn't eat with someone who wasn't Jewish. They had been been promised all these things by God about him coming in and elevating their nation and making promise to them about their nation and their nation being elevated above all other nations in the future. There's all these promises made to them where they believe they are God's chosen people because that's what he says over and over in the Old Testament. They are God's chosen people at the sort of and everyone else is just forgot about along the way and so when Jesus steps in and says basically the door to my family is now open to everybody there's a bit of jealousy that comes about on the Jewish part there's a bit of rules that the Gentiles don't have to keep that the Jews still kind of feel like they do some of them do some of them don't we talked about that a little bit over the last two weeks and so what you see is there's so much room for tension there's so much room for Jewish people to want to distance themselves from the non-Jewish people all of which are Christians, all of which are following Jesus, but there's so much room for division. There's so much room for, I just want to be done with you. You're not like me. And so the text is kind of obvious. I want to jump this to you guys. What, what do you feel like or what have you experienced? What causes divisions among you, among us? What causes divisions among us? Come on, okay. Okay, jealousy. And I want you to consider, let's just think about in the church. Let's just think about the people, not just in this room, but either the people you've gone to church with here over your last one, two, three, four, seven years, or people from your home church, or something like that. What causes divisions in here? So pride, jealousy. And if you want to, you could trot it out. You could tell me why pride or how pride pushes you away or pushes other people away from you or jealousy. Rachel, come on. Okay. 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 Yeah, okay. This is what me and my roommate when I was in college here, we would get in like crazy fights about, like crazy fights about, about the dumbest like theology. What's up, Michael Bailey? Come on. Yeah, pretty, okay. So a lot like what Nathan's saying, yeah, different. Hmm, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We feel that one here. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, 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 sure. Okay, that's really good. Yeah, economic backgrounds really do shape how we view other people. Okay, giftings. I put that on my list too. Giftings, yeah, yeah, yeah. Translations of the Bible. Oh, really? Yeah. Joe was was ostracizing people in my office just a few minutes ago about the message and inhale too. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> okay. Okay. Tell me how you might just like like look across the room and start judging people. Okay, good, good. Yeah, when I'm in seminary, I typically pick out one person in the class and I just judge the crap out of them. Like, I don't, I think it's because I need to validate myself. Do you know what I mean? And so there typically be someone that comes in and I'm like, look at this guy in his freaking pants with his freaking shoes. And in my head, I just hate him. Like, I just hate him. And then typically that's the person that the Lord will, like, lead me to become friends with pretty quickly. Though There's one guy I really remember doing that. Like, his pants were extra tight and his shoes were extra pointy. And I was like, this freaking rich guy over here. Ugh, like, what are you doing? And then, like, by the end of that class, we've been friend for, friends for, like, three years now. Just, like, a super great guy. But in my mind, I need to justify myself. So I just judge the crap out of people when they come to the room. Yeah, spiritual. And that was here, right? Okay, because that would definitely happen here on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, for sure. Okay. violating the rules and denominational stuff yeah that's right Jerry I think that's a huge one sure yeah 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 racial backgrounds definitely cause judgment okay Just relationships that you already have that are closer than other people. Okay, okay. Rachel, you got another one. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why we have our phones, right? Because it saves us from awkwardness. Yeah. Okay, okay. Self-interest? Okay. 
Right, just so concerned with what's going on inside that love and care is nearly impossible. Okay. Oh, you got a lot over here. Y'all just come on out with them, yeah. Okay, you got fear. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Joey. Okay, yeah. Yeah, complete, like, do- so th- th- something that I don't know if you feel it here or not, we try to be really big about what we would call core beliefs. They're things we believe are the core of Christianity, beliefs about who Jesus is, about the Trinity, about the work of Jesus on the cross. And then we have these other things that are outside of it that we believe are not core. They are not uh, what we would call essential. So we hold the things in the middle with a closed hand. We hold all these other things with an open hand. And so you can... You can believe differently, and we should be able to worship together. We should be able to love each other, and we should be able to serve together, even though we all have differences of opinion on these certain doctrinal things of, uh, of so many things. Um, yeah, okay. Okay, well, let's move on then, okay? Because I think I wrote down pretty much everything you said. Uh, I only did. So I put the giftings tend to bring about comparisons. And when I say giftings, I think we're all kind of wired in five major ways. Um, and then there's all these other complexities that go into it. But if you read Ephesians 4, there's this thing where, where, where it says that uh, when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to men, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, and what you'll see on our staff is there are, we, we do a team staff. There's nobody who's sort of like the head honcho. Uh, so me and Kyle are sort of lead pastors, and he's very different than me. And then you see Josh and John work alongside each other. They're very different from each other. And then if you walk into our office some days, there's a lady named Joni who, like, gets the job done. But she's not going to say much nice to you. Uh, And then Cynthia really just wants to talk to people and, like, bring people into her office, right? And so on our staff, I felt this over and over, um, is that because Kyle is different than me, it's very, very easy for me to entertain a ton of insecurities about the way that he judges, the way that he does his job and the way that I do my job, and if I'm really as good as him or not, or if I'm worthy of being a pastor or not. And it's very easy for Josh and John to do similar things. It's very easy for Joni and Cynthia to do things. So you're going to see that because we're different, it brings about this very easy comparison so that I can compare my work to his work and then I can feel like less of a person. So then I remove myself from his presence or I begin to judge what he does. So it's very complex, but we are complex humans that pile fear on top of insecurity, on top of judgment, and then just let it do its work. Um, so I think, yeah, giftings, which leads to comparison. Beliefs and opinions, y'all said that. Um, and then I think this one, uh, offenses because of those things that go unsaid, um, unaddressed, and then unreconciled. So I do, maybe don't raise your hand for this one. Are there people that you've met in the church circle here at SFA? So maybe not just this church, but the church circle that you used to love dearly, but you don't anymore? or that don't love you anymore. 
Maybe. Raise your hand on that. Okay, okay. And my guess is if you trace that backwards, you're going to find all those emotions that I mentioned, which led to an actual event that was either unreconciled or difficult to reconcile, and it was just easier to go the other way. It's really interesting, like I said, that most of this book is about broad, deep, huge theology that's all applied towards unity. If you remember Jesus before he went to the cross, he prays in the, in the Gospel of John for, for his apostles, and then he prays for the church as a whole, all the people that would believe because of the apostles. And you know the one thing that he said that was going to cause the rest of the world to be drawn to him? was how people in the church loved each other. He said that the world will know that I am Messiah because of the way that y'all love each other. When y'all break through all of those boundaries that you just mentioned and actually begin to love each other. It's interesting that he said that will be the most powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit that people will see is not even someone rising from the dead or someone who is deaf hearing again or someone who is blind seeing again. All those are powerful manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But when two people who shouldn't love each other love each other, now the believing world will actually, will actually follow. It's pretty intense. Okay, so, so I want to jump in one more level down. So I'm convinced that I see Satan at work in my life more in this area than I see it anywhere else to create division. So I mentioned the one maybe between me and Kyle, maybe that can happen between even me and Josh or Josh and John, all the people on our staff. But what I see is that, that Satan is actively at work. He's actively at work trying to divide the body. He's actively at work trying to divide the body. And so what I want to do is kind of want to give you a scenario that is played out probably in my home a thousand times or more uh, and I want you to see how it, how it comes into being and my guess is you'll see something very similar happen uh, with your roommates with your close friends um, and you'll see how powerful it is to divide the church so um, so my wife is a, is a lot like other women I think who have children and, and maybe who don't even have children uh, her insecurities revolve around whether she is being a good mother and she's being a good wife. So her insecurities revolve around that. So if she makes a mistake, uh, if she like yells at Marshall because Marshall's gone crazy, if she like yells at him, she'll entertain the guilt from that for like a day and a half um, or, or longer. But then, because she's feeling guilty, she'll make more mistakes and then feel more guilty. And all of this is like creating this sort of insecure machine that's going on about how well she's doing as a mother and then as a wife. Because if I like walk into the house like, hey, what's going on? And I'm happy and it's been crazy. She like kind of looks at me like, F you, bro. You've been at work all day, huh? I bet it was really nice. Okay, why don't you come inside and take these kids and let me run away for the next three weeks. Right? And so like... It's like, and, and I walk into that, and I'm like, whoa. And sometimes I respond super poorly, uh, and I, like, snap back. So you see that these insecurities about how good of a mom she's being are just sort of churning inside of her, right? And then my insecurities revolve around my workplace. They revolve around how good of a pastor I'm being. Am I discipling people well? 
Uh, am I preaching well? Am I doing what's been assigned to me well? And so what happens is my insecurities make me think that I'm not doing a good job because I'm actively comparing myself when I come into the office. I look in Kyle's office and I see it's all neat and arranged and he's got his meetings in order and he's going to do like three times or four times as much in a day as I'm going to get done because he's a bit of a machine. And so I'm like, oh, I just suck. I don't even know what I'm doing. I just suck. I don't even deserve to be in here. Right, and then so here's what happens. So Satan is at work throwing insecurities at me, throwing insecurities at my wife, and then the next step is to blame each other. So why am I not doing at work what I feel like I should be doing at work? After I've compared myself well enough, well then I need to find a reason why I'm not doing as good as Kyle. Ah, I know why, because my wife isn't doing as good as she ought to do, and I have to come and help her with the kids i got to leave work. i got to cancel meetings. And so now where it was just me, now it's that woman's fault. And so I'll go home. She'll be a little crazy because of the kids. I'm super short because I'm feeling insecure, and I'm feeling insecure on account of her. And then what happens there is this explosion. And what I want you to see that's so ingenious by the enemy there are things that have never been said in the world. Like, it's, I, like, there are things that have not been said that my wife has insecurities about. No one's ever walked up to me and said, good Lord, Kyle's a way better pastor than you. Like, nobody's ever said that. But those are insecurities that are in my mind, right? She has ones that are in her mind. When that explosion happens, you know what comes out of my mouth? All the insecurities that were just in her mind Satan is going to try to get me to verbalize, to bring into reality, to like put a stamp on it that it's actually true. All those fears that you had about being a bad mom, well, you're right. And, and to verbalize it, to sort of bring it from the emotional and the spiritual into the physical. And to like put a stamp on it and say, and so in that moment, what was insecurities that are just robbing us of vitality then become an explosion that causes division. My guess is scenes like that have played out in your life over and over and over about a thousand different things. Internal, 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 internal until it gets focused on somebody and then that focus creates you saying words that you probably don't even actually believe but is Satan's attempt to get you to bring the thoughts and insecurities of someone's mind into reality and so create cause for division. So what were once just thoughts are now words, and words are wounds, and wounds mean I need to run away from this. And so you have the church and you have homes, literally like a third of my job is talking to people who are going through divorces in the church because of this happening over and over and over and over and over. Satan is massively at work in this area. And so I think that's exactly why the next thing that you read in the text is what it is. So 
Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. What he's specifically saying there is there's a certain group that's causing divisions, and they're, they're trying to make people just become Jewish before they become Christians. So of all the things we talked about that create divisions, he's focusing it in on one, a group of people that are saying to be fully Christian, you have to be fully Jewish first. And he's saying you need to reject those people. And then what does he say right after that? Your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And then this odd saying, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that interesting? It is not, it is not in this text, Jesus and God defeating Satan. It is God defeating Satan via through the church. He doesn't say that God's going to step in and crush Satan under his foot. He says that you, the church, this case the Roman church, but I believe this is in regards to the church as a whole, is the one that finally defeats Satan. Super interesting. Super interesting. I want to unpack that for a minute. I want to unpack that for a minute. This is going to connect all of that dynamics that goes on in our mind and our hearts that create divisions and create frustrations. I want to connect that to the work of Satan like we saw earlier. But I want you to see, I want you to see how you play a role in the defeat of Satan. So there's this interesting thing going on in the world. Uh, there's this interesting thing going on in the world. In, in, in Genesis... Uh, God makes a promise to Abraham is really where the whole story begins. He makes the same promise twice. And in one promise, he says to Abraham, who has no children, um, that I'm going to make your offspring like the sand on the seashore. Talking about their number. And then he says the same promise again, but this time he changes the wording. And it's a few chapters later. He says, I'm going to make your offspring like the stars in the sky. I'm going to make your offspring like the stars in the sky. And so we read that initially we think he's talking about numbers. He's just going to give him a lot of children, which is partially right, yes. Um, it says in the book of Galatians that everyone who believes in Christ is now the spiritual offspring of Abraham. Abraham fathered the... Israelite people, the Israelite people are who Jesus comes from. Everyone who then follows Jesus is now brought into the line of Abraham and make up his spiritual offspring. So yeah, yeah, that's part of numbers. But when the ancients read that, they believed that the stars were a depiction of or a representation of the family of God, the heavenly host, the, the angels that were in the sort of courts of heaven. And so when it says, I'm going to make your, your children like uh, the stars in the sky, the ancients would have read that and been like, wait, hold up. You're, you're, you're going to make us like spiritual beings in the heavenly kingdom? And what we see happen throughout the rest of Scripture is that is precisely what is going on uh, with humanity. Humanity are physical beings who fart and poop and eat and smell funny, who are being 
elevated to be seated with Christ in heavenly places far above all rule, power, authority, dominion, above every name that is named. It's this incredible thing that God is doing. He's making us who are physical, making us spiritual. And we are all who have believed in Jesus in the process of going from, so this is something that's been on my mind a lot lately, but we're going from dust to divinity. We're going from sand to the stars. We are on this path. This is why First Peter, I believe it's First or Second Peter, says that we will take part in the divine nature. We will actually become one with the Father in the same way that Jesus is one with the Father. In the same way that you can't really tell much of a difference between the Father and the Son, between Jesus and his Father. He's saying, I'm drawing you into that type of divinity, that type of spirituality. I'm drawing you up into the heavenly courts with me. I'm making you like me. So when it's, saying, when it's talking about, I am a child of God, that we sing this incredibly powerful song, I think we miss the fact that God is not a human and we are not gods, and yet he has brought us into his family and in essence he's making us take part in the divine nature so one of the big picture things that we need to grab onto is that the work of Jesus was to cleanse us of our sins and to rescue us from the brokenness of this world by elevating us to take part in the divine nature to go from dust to glory or from dust to divinity or from the sand to the stars. I believe all of that is locked up in the promises made to Abraham. And so what happens is we are all in this process of our eyes and our mind and our hearts being set on the physical things and our minds and our hearts being elevated to spiritual things. We're all in process of that happening more and more and more fully and more completely to where the things of this earth aren't quite as satisfying as they used to be. And the only thing that satisfies is time in the presence of my Father. That's slowly happening, right? But I think what happens along the way, what happens along the way is we get fixated on the dust part, on the physical part, and other people. And so we get fixated and we can write out and talk about and list out every freaking thing that they do wrong and every way that they're fixated on the physical, and every way that they're not being godlike, and every way that we wish they were, but they're not. And we get fixated on that, and then when they start affecting us or hurting us, then it's real easy to verbalize all of that. And once we verbalize it and we don't look at what God is making them into, rather we look at the ways that they fail, all we're doing are we, we are taking part in the work of Satan to bring down what God has already started to bring up. And one of the ways we remedy the division, one of the ways we remedy the division is ask our Father, how does he see these people? Now, some of it's general and obvious because it's written throughout all of the Bible. You're a rebel and you've been made a son or a daughter. If you see the way that Paul talks about the church, he always talks about the church in terms of what they will be and not what they currently are. He writes a letter to the Corinthian church, which has got a ton of stuff going on. One guy that's actually sleeping with his stepmother, and he calls them saints. He refers to the church as a spotless bride, all referencing what the church will be, because 
he understands that when you fan into flame and you blow on the embers of what God is doing, it's going to encourage that. And when you, out of anger or judgment or frustration or trying to validate yourself, forget about all that and just start coming down on the differences and the judgment and why they're different than you and why they're really stupid and why they don't clean up the dishes and why their beliefs are dumb and every little thing that you can carve out that's wrong with the people in this room, why they don't love you the way that they should, all the things that you can do and we can do, we quench what the Holy Spirit is at work doing, which is creating love and bringing unity and elevating us. And so when it says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, what he's doing is he's pointing to them actually listening to him, to them putting aside their differences. And the way that Satan is at work in the Roman church trying to divide it and trying to separate it out, what he's saying is I pretty much believe that as you listen to this and you grow in unity, you're going to stomp on and squash the works of Satan. In the same way that you stomp on and squash the works of Satan, every time those thoughts that cross your mind that are negative towards your brother or sister are attacking the way that they are or what they believe or the offenses that they've done and you reject those thoughts or you forgive or you move into love or you ask God how do you actually see them because I don't see them with your eyes I can only see them with my eyes and they are really kind of annoying and awkward can you show me how you see them every time in little ways we are crushing the works of Satan we are squashing the works of Satan under our feet and what happens that the church does that little by little more and more until racial tensions are put away until economic tensions are put away until the church grows in unity and love and in the fullness of the stature of Christ in the complete manhood like it talks about in Ephesians 4 and then the and then the world will actually see that Messiah is Messiah that Jesus was who he said he was and when that happens That will be the day that Jesus returns and does away with all evil in the world like we talked about this morning. That the end of the story will become complete and evil and Satan and all of that will be done away with. And so he's pointing to them and saying in this way, the God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet. That sounds huge, but it's literally in the mundane ordering of your thought life. And not letting these things spin out of control and then result in divisions in this room and in the next church that you're going to go to. Come on now. (laughs) So with all that in mind, that's why Paul says what he says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Why is Paul exploding into worship here? Why is he exploding into worship here? This is labeled the doxology in most of your Bibles. Really meaning words of glory or words of praise. Why is he exploding? I think he sees something huge that he has just talked about with the God of peace crushing Satan under the feet of the church is this incredibly beautiful picture that I don't think we really grasp, but it's this incredibly beautiful picture. What we understand, we understand very little about what happened with Satan 
we understand very little about what happened with Satan, but we do get some clues uh, from the Old Testament, a little bit in the New Testament, that God created this sort of perfect, this, this like angel above all angels is kind of the idea. The light bringer, Lucifer was his name. And so there's this idea that God creates this sort of elevated angelic being higher than all of the other angels. And then somehow this elevated angelic being creates the first division that we're aware of. And he deceives the heavenly hosts and drags down what it looks like to be a third of the angels to create what we would call the demonic realm. And so again, this is real spotty through the Old Testament, some in the New Testament, but we're always trying to understand what, what went on, but it looks like that's what happened. And so the question is, and it always was in my mind, if that's the case, why didn't God just squash him? Like, why didn't God just like do away with him? Why didn't he just complete, like, he, it seems like everything is traced back to his rebellion. What's going on there? Why didn't you squash him? And what I began to realize as I read the New Testament is this. The highest of beings rebelled and God cast him away. And so God, instead of destroying him, is going to humiliate him. And how does he do that? Well, he creates these weak creatures called humans who also rebel. But instead of casting these creatures away, he takes on their form. He becomes like them. He suffers for them. He elevates them from dust to glory. He elevates them with Christ above every name that is named. And then he says to these weak creatures who are made from the dust of the earth, who fart and poop and smell funny, that you will crush Satan under your feet. So he does more. He does more than just destroy he humbles the proud. He humbles the proud. And so I think in Paul's mind is, look at what all that Christ has done. Christ has become like us, has suffered for us, who's drawn us into the family of God, and in so doing has defeated every enemy of God and of man in that process. And so he looks at the Roman church and he says, in light of all that, love each other and reject the people that cause divisions among you. Because that, you loving each other and reconciling where there are irreconcilable differences, manifests the spirit more than anything else. Reveals that Messiah is Messiah more than anything else. And so I would say, if you remember all the things that y'all mentioned that create divisions in here, my guess is you realize along with me that when you verbalize them, they're actually extremely petty. They're super petty. And yet we all do them. And so I would appeal to you that you recognize that in the moment and you ask your father, how do you see them? My guess is he's going to bring to mind some obvious scriptures that he sees them seated at his right hand with Christ, that he sees them spotless and without blemish, that he sees them for what they will be and not for what you see. And so move in to speak encouraging words and to fan into flame what they will be instead of verbalizing what Satan is telling you that they are.
Let's be a part of what our Father is doing and not what the Father of Lies is doing.